Hi everyone, and welcome to Now and Men, the podcast about men, masculinities, and gender equality. I'm Sandy Rutson. I'm here with Stephen Burrell, as usual. It feels like it's been quite a while since we last did an episode, Stephen, but hopefully some of you will have listened to, in the meantime to our conversation with Dr. Stacey Pope about football, which has been very topical here in England as we've been hosting the Women's Euros. Hi, Sandy, and hi, everyone. Yes, uh, without wishing to get all nationalistic about it, how amazing it's been to see England win the trophy, as Stacey did predict that they would. Uh, You know, they played so well, and it's been such an exciting tournament all round, really. Uh, You know, it's also been fantastic to see so many people watching and following the matches on television and and going to the games. We've seen the attendance record for both women's and men's uh, European championships broken during the tournament. Um, So let's hope that this really marks a real long-term step forward uh, in terms of coverage, investment, attention towards the women's game at all levels here in England, in the UK, uh, and uh, more broadly as well. But today we're changing tack a little bit and we're focusing on prisons, which are of course predominantly populated by men. So 96% of prisoners here in the UK are men, but often perhaps the links between crime and masculinity aren't discussed or explored as much as they could be. So today we're talking to Dan Boyden, who does a lot of work with a charity called Safe Ground here in the UK. And Safe Ground design and deliver arts-based programmes for people in prison and in the community. And Dan's the lead facilitator of their flagship uh, programmes, Man Up and Family Man. He's also the director of an organisation called The Change Collective, which brings together creative practitioners seeking to use the arts as a tool for social change. I should state perhaps an interest here too in that in a former life I worked with young offenders and prisoners um, for a number of charities including Prison Reform Trust, NACRO and as it then was Community Service Volunteers. So I'm particularly interested in your experience Dan and what if anything has changed since I was more directly involved in the sort of 80s and 90s. I mean one thing that I know is that the prison population those days was about 40,000. Now it's about double that so (laughs) you can take from that obviously that uh, in some ways we've been going backwards haven't we? Yeah, so thank you so much uh, for joining us today, Dan. Um, thanks very much for inviting me on. It's really nice to yeah, nice to meet you and uh, really great to connect. Thank you. Um, so perhaps to start off with, could you tell us a little bit about these programmes that Safe uh, Ground run and that you work on called Man Up and uh, Family Man? Um, like, What is it uh, that these programmes aim to do? I mean, I suppose the titles are quite interesting. I mean, for example, the term Man Up is often criticised for implying, you know, that men should toughen up, not show weakness or ask for help. Um, so, yeah, how how do you use these terms and, and why? That's a very good question. I... Um... <laughs> So Family Man is a, obviously a deliberately provocative title uh, and it is kind of, yeah, has got me into some interesting initial conversations with, with participants, mm. for sure. And both the, the, the programmes that Safe Ground run are group work programmes, essentially. Um, and it's about, I guess, bringing people together to share some of the ideas and the knowledge and the wisdom that is already in the room. It's a kind of facilitated group work program. Um, and we create a space f- to be able to unpack, interrogate, explore, share ideas around what it is to be a man today and how this idea of masculinity impacts how we feel, how we connect with, with each other, um, how we think about our family and our friends and the people that are close to us. Um, why potentially some of this notion of what it is to be a man and, and some of the norms and expectations, whether that's social, cultural, 
have have meant that men have ended up doing things that has ended up them being inside in prison. So Safe Ground are really interested in this idea of relationships and how to build and maintain healthy, supportive, good relationships for for men inside um, between each other, but also you know with their families and with the with the support structures. Thinking you know with this idea that if we develop the skills, the confidence, the ability to be able to maintain good, healthy relationships, then there's less risk that we might reoffend, or there's less chance to, that, that, that some of those ties that men have with the people that are in their lives will be broken. So it's really, it's a really um, powerful, very kind of robust methodology. It's arts-based, but, but loosely arts-based. My background is theatre. I'm a theatre practitioner. Um, we use role play and we use kind of theatre-based techniques in terms of using our bodies and creating images and telling stories and thinking about how we communicate, not necessarily only through the things that we say. But it's kind of light touch. It doesn't, we don't, you know, we don't, we definitely don't do Shrek the Musical on day one, that's for sure. <laughs> um, and we, we, there's a lot of discussions. There's a lot of trying to, I guess create the conditions whereby men, the work that I do, say I work, work with women as well, but the, the work I do in Family Man and Fathers Inside and Man Up is, is around, I guess, creating the conditions within the group for men to be a bit vulnerable and for men to take down some of the armour that they have naturally built up inside an environment which is kind of hostile and heavy and is 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 very um yeah is very toxic prisons aren't aren't people don't feel safe my assumption is that people don't feel safe whether that's prisoners the staff there's it's so 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 i think for me the magic that can happen in those groups is that there is the sense of safety that is created and there is a sense of being able to access a slightly different version of ourselves than we might normally do outside of those spaces. And yeah, there's not too many fancy tricks. It's it's interesting conversations. It's allowing people to be heard. It's listening. It's um, calling people out as well in a way that feels constructive and productive. Um, challenging people, um, again, in, in, in a way that is hopefully models useful ways of communicating and challenging and... and, and disagreeing with somebody. I think in prisons, often that's not the case. It's often results in violence and conflict, whereas, um, yeah, some of those early activities and conversations are around, what do we do in a group when somebody disagrees with me? What does that look like and how do we work with that? And How do we not react in a way that we might have habitually reacted, which has maybe been less healthy? So, yeah, the, some, the, the, the man up, is is an intensive six six sessions right. and often is delivered over three days so you go in quite quick quite hard um and there will often be um somebody from the prison who is either kind of co-facilitating or in the room and part of the conversations which i think is a really key component and it's a whistle-stop tour in 15 hours of some of the big the biggies we look at you know identity archetypes, uh, power, anger, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. 
it's and 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 through through these kind of practical activities, um, we're going deeper, kind of um, hour by hour, and and moving towards uh, some kind of presentation, and 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 I think again that's a really key part of the methodology and the, the approach is that actually, the men have an opportunity at the end of these programs to be able to stand up and talk. Um, a about the process and what and, and what's shifted or you know how it's been, um, but 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 to give like I said a kind of my key takeaway from the whole from the work is allowing those men to show a different side of themselves um, and to kind of own some of their failures, own some of their things that they've that they've struggled with um, in an environment where it's really hard for men to do that. Um, family man and fathers inside. Um, traditionally have been much longer so I've run um, I've run Fathers Inside over eight weeks in Wandsworth and uh, that was with a group of men from the age of 18 up to 50 or 55 you know and, and I think what's interesting is that's explicitly looking at the role of, of a father and, and what that means um, and again using kind of similar techniques and approaches that I've just talked about with Man Up but kind of thinking thinking really about this idea of that very specific role of a father and what that looks like for somebody who's inside and isn't able to be with their kids and how they might move closer towards a better version of being a father than they have been. Um, but again, as a facilitator in that process, I'm not coming with any specific um, ideas about what that looks like to either be a man or to be a father. But I am kind of, I guess, introducing ways that we might be able to look at it. And I'm kind of very much bringing myself um, as a person into that as well, which I think is really interesting. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's, I find it really energizing. I find it really um, different. Every time is different. Every time you bring a group of people together, it's totally different. The dynamics are different. Um, the kind of peer, the peer support and the mm. peer learning that happens in those rooms is amazing. It's quite mm. incredible. Um, and feels really um, important. The conversations feel important. The shifts feel important. The fact that the, there aren't those spaces in prison to be able to to look at that, I think, um, is is what I find most interesting or exciting about the work, for sure. Yeah, can you tell us? Obviously, men in prison are quite a varied group. You know, they'll be in there for all sorts of different reasons. They, you know, be different age groups. So, yeah, could you tell us a little bit more about who the men are that you are working with? I mean, is it particularly any particular groups of men, any particular parts of the country, or particular types of prisons? Um, yeah, yeah, it really varies. Um, safe ground work in a in a a lot of institutions, and have got relationships with some um, that, that we go back to, and there's you know, there's often new new prisons that we work in. Uh, I'm, a lot of my work has been with young offenders. So I, I've worked up mm. in Brinsford in the West Midlands. Um, and and that I find that fascinating and, and, and kind of, in a way, I find it more challenging sometimes than, than the work um, in the, the adult prison population. And I think it's partly because teenage, teenagers is a tricky time for, for anybody. <laughs> and I think there's a huge amount of... Um, anger and it feels much harder for them to be more authentic versions of themselves in those spaces partly because they don't necessarily haven't had the life experience to be able to reflect on that um and also partly because i think that they're 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 scared they're kids you know and and that's i hope that doesn't sound patronizing but they are young kids who are um 
often product of some real chaos in terms of their lives and their upbringing um, and have um, made some bad choices along the way, but are just scared. And, 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 and that um, fear or that, you know, that, 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 that whatever it is they are feeling comes out in lots of kind of quite aggressive, unpredictable ways. So I think the, yeah, the young offenders stuff can be really um, powerful and there's an energy but that you have to kind of work with. Um, mm. But the groups in the, in I worked, I've worked, like I said, in Brixton um, and Wandsworth and various places that there isn't, there isn't a particular profile it's really interesting that there is there is a there is a real diversity of life experience. There is a real diversity of culture, identity, um, race, and class actually as well. Um, and I think that is what makes again the thing that I find um, interesting and challenging about the work is how you bring in that difference, how you work with those dynamics. And, and try to create an opportunity for them to share, to connect, to learn, and to be okay with that difference. I think it's much, I guess, I guess when the groups have more in common, it's probably easier to move quicker. But I think when the groups, when there is a lot of difference in those rooms, um, initially, people can feel like, I don't have anything to be able to share with that other person who lives, lives a completely different life. But quite quickly, they create ways to be, which I think can be really transformative in terms of challenging mm. some of those assumptions that they might have come into those spaces with. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's mixed. I've also done some interesting uh, work in, in Bethlehem Psychiatric Hospital, mm. um, which was working with a small group, delivering man up with a really small group of men who were all experiencing psychosis, had psychosis and were experiencing mm. hearing voices and um yeah again we didn't we didn't do that back to back we extended that over three weeks we thought about the other the other staff that were needed to be in the room but the kind of core approach didn't shift that much which again i think is real is testament to the to the to the way that safe ground have really understood the best way of doing not the best way but an effective way of bringing men together even in Kind of settings which are which are really um, much higher risk, I guess. So, so yeah, interesting and challenging as, as a facilitator, but but really kind of um, the the you really get a sense of the 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 diversity and the reach of men across the UK when you're doing this kind of work. Yeah, you mentioned there some of the challenges for facilitation. I wondered if you wanted to say a little bit more about that, really, because you know I can see that that it is difficult to run these groups as you know different categories of prisoners and different issues are coming up and and also you know perhaps um i mean sometimes it's not safe for men to reveal information about themselves in a prison setting so there's a, there's a tension in there isn't there between helping them to open up but at the same time recognizing they are in a prison environment and that can be very difficult so you know i was just thinking there there are challenges for facilitation and do you want to say more about that yeah i think that's it i think you're you're dead right and i think that uh it's interesting. There are certain challenges that you sign up for as a facilitator uh, in terms of the, I guess, the, the way in which you, that group is held and, 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 and being able to deal with some of the, um, the, the behavior and the dynamics in the room. That's kind of what you sign up for. And then there's also all of the challenges of operating in a prison in, 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 and, and, and the, you're at the mercy of lockdowns. You're at the mercy of prisoners having 
very limited amounts of time to go and see the doctor or to have visits or so so you're kind of it, it requires a, I guess a real um, flexibility and adaptability in terms of being able to kind of uh, manage expectations in terms of your own expectations about what's possible um, we did a, I did a recently did a, a, a program in HMP Peterborough it's a three-day program and the whole of the second day we couldn't do anything at all because of the the, the lockdown in the morning and then the kind of the prison system kind of playing catch up after having locked down the whole place so yeah you have to think on your feet and, and you and you have to also I guess um like you said Sandy be really conscious I am always very conscious I guess of what what can happen when actually we encourage people to access stuff that they might not necessarily be accessing day to day mm. um and how then they transition back into a world that hasn't had that kind of space and, and is very different, often kind of um, the other end of the planet in terms of the way in which men are behaving mm. towards each other. So um, I, think that there's, I think that there's work that, with the prison in terms of managing and supporting that transition and making sure that people are kind of um, supported and checked in with afterwards and then then i think there's also a role that the group can play in terms of being able to continue the support and to being able to have those um conversations on the wing that, that they might have had versions of in the workshop setting yeah um and yeah i think that the the level of transformation is in direct relationship to the to the danger that you could that, 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 that you could be in and the group could be in so i think that there's a kind of trade-off of actually i think a lot of interventions in prison don't necessarily go to the depths that the safe ground does and i think as a result they might not be as transformative um, or as impactful but there's definitely um scaffolding and ways of being able to support the, the group and individually people within the group to, to make sure that actually they're able to also process and carry with them some of what has come up from those mm -hmm. sessions um, and and yeah, I think it is it is interesting. I think the, the, also the approach that we take, which is not necessarily just um, cerebral or just intellectual. We're working on a level which is kind of emotional, but we're also working with the body, and we're also working with that 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 people naturally process things in, at different times in a different way. So I think it's um, yeah, it feels it feels kind of alive and electric, and as a result, it feels like we have a kind of duty of care as an organisation as facilitators as well. To make sure that 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 is um, that transition back into the prison environment is kind of done safely. Yeah, because you said earlier that it was important that there was some involvement from the prison alongside you as facilitator. I I think I don't know if that's an officer or someone from psychology or education or whatever. It probably varies from from prison to prison. But um, I'm wondering how how that role works. You know, working with them and presumably they have a have a, an important role in taking stuff into the wider prison as well because. I mean, in an ideal yeah. world, your work would influence the prison as an institution. It wouldn't just be, you know, located amongst those few men that you're able to, to engage with. But um, I know that's idealistic, but, you know, presumably that's part of the point of, of running programmes like this, is to try and change yeah. people's experience in prison as a whole. Exactly. And I think that, um, I think that when I think about the successful examples of this kind of work it's, it's often been working with um unexpected kind of allies within the prison um often you know people who might be um kind of seconded to this particular workshop without knowing a huge amount about what it might be but, but have been really valuable um in terms of the conversations also in terms of i guess 
a lot of the work is rooted in this idea of empathy and understanding and trying to trying to go beneath some of the the identities that people are carrying around in those prison cells but i think for the prison officers as well um to be able to kind of sit in a space um and 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 it's often male prison officers um or, or support workers not always actually um but, but often it's a, it's an all-male group and i think to to be able to have that lens to be able to bring in that experience of what it is like to be a prison officer to be able to also um allow some of the the men the prisoners to be able to see slightly different versions of their staff i think is also really really important and and and, and that final presentation the 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 mission the aim is to always try to get as, as many of the you know the kind of senior managers the governors the the the, the traditional power holders i guess within those spaces to also come and be part of that to come and experience that to come and see it to come and feel the energy of those final performances and i think that is where i think you're right i think that is where the the impact travels and i think there's an interesting dynamic that can happen because what we're one argument is that what we're doing is showing a slightly different version of what's possible for these young men and actually it's very difficult sometimes i think for those prison officers or for the governors or for the the, the culture that that system um is built on also needs in some way to reinforce the idea that prisoners are in there and they need to be punished so actually it's a, it's a it's a, an approach which is kind of in intention or in opposition to a lot of the way in which those prisons are run um and that's a bigger political conversation as well but i think on a human level it can be an interesting there's interesting conversations that i've had with the guards or with the managers the governors the, the people who who commission the work i guess because in a way it's easier for them not always to see that human side or not always see the the dad who is struggling or the uncle who is sorry for the mistake you know it's kind of easier in a way to be able to kind of slightly dehumanize mm. um so there's an interesting there's interesting tension and dynamic sometimes um with with this kind of work and and but it's i can imagine there will be interesting conversations as well around where does this program sit within an institution that has a particular culture and how how does it um yeah how does it really embed itself and i think there's there is examples of of it happening really successfully i'm working in peterborough we're going to be working over the over the um winter six we're going to be delivering six man up sessions over over six months and i think that is often down to um people really seeing the the benefit but, but also the decision makers within the prisons not feeling threatened about what might come up from this kind of work and i think that's probably to do with personalities and as much as and, and the building of relationships with people who see the value and the benefit of this kind of work um and also understand where it could fit within the within the prisons so, yeah yeah it's interesting. i was interested in what you said there about um you know punishment because i was reminded of that uh, dictum that you know prisoners go to prison as punishment not for punishment and it's, it strikes me as really important to hold on to that actually and yet you know in a world where punishment has become much more sort of pervasive and you know ideals of rehabilitation have been seriously challenged you know it's difficult to hold on to that notion that you know we're not there to punish but <laughs> the punishment is yeah. being in prison in fact but, but yeah you know, 
Um, I guess, you know, there's a whole challenge for rehabilitation programmes of all kinds within this context, you know. I think that's it. And I think that there's, um, I was struck, and I won't, I won't sort of name the prison, but there was a prison that I worked in uh, and it was pre-COVID, pre-lockdown, which I think is, you know, has definitely heightened and exacerbated all of those tensions that you're talking about. But it was um, most of the young men, it was, a, it was the young offenders, most of the young men, for most of the time, were locked up for kind of 23, 22 and a half, 23 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it's kind of like, where do you start with that? Yeah. If that's if that's the if that's the conditions that they're operating in, what hope? Do you have to be able to support somebody to um, make uh, a, a set of different choices at any point in the future? People, you know, those young guys, as I said at the beginning, are kind of lo- slightly lost and scared and then locked in a room for 23 hours a day, um, often either on their own or somebody that they've never met. Mm. And, and, then, and then there's an expectation that at the end of that six months or year or three years, they will be able to then re-engage with the world again and it's just it's just a thankless impossible task um and i think that yeah looping it back into this idea of masculinity i think that there's there's so much anger that broods and i think that there's so much um resentment that uh, of of that way of being treated that, that makes young men particularly act in really um volatile aggressive often violent ways and I think, like, uh, I guess, looking at it from an outsider, of course that's going to happen. If you if you if you put somebody to a, um, such a restrictive regime, mm. and for me, that's kind of to, to be able to come out the other end of it, anything other than really angry and resentful, I think would almost be impossible. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, you you mentioned before, Dan, about how part of the the work you do involves the use of these kind of arts based methods, um, and that's obviously something which you're passionate about more broadly in the work you do as well I guess um so yeah I mean I think we're just interested really in, in why do you think why do you use those methods you know why do you think that they are kind of effective and, and powerful um and how do the kind of participants respond to them I mean is there some you know some reluctance um at first to engage with those kinds of methods I mean and I was also wondering I guess like are the men do the men volunteer to take part in in the programs you're doing um yeah um, yeah, often often they do. Um, sometimes they don't. Sometimes the, the the incentive of five hours outside of yourself is enough to get them to sign. It could have been a crochet or French. What I mean, you know. So I think that they're often they are there because they're curious as well. And I think that they've you know they have relationships with um, staff in the prison who might suggest that this is a, an, an interesting space for you just to try and give it a go. And yeah, I mean, I always start with. Uh, conversations around comfort zone and expectations and the fact that for even for, for some guys just being in that space in a in you know in a circle with other men is 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 massively outside of your comfort zone um for some people the, this idea of group work and, and is much more familiar um so they're coming in at very different levels and they're coming at you know at very different stages of their own journey in terms of um rehabilitation and prison experiences i think in terms of the the arts-based or the practical approach, um, I think it speaks to this idea that we learn and communicate in very different ways. And there, there is an ability to connect with this. I, mean, I would never say that it was playing. I wouldn't say the word play, but there's something which is playful about 
the approach um, and something which is creative about the approach and something which I think um, allows them to not, ne- to not necessarily just be in their head. I think they spend a huge amount of time in their head. And, and I think that the more that they can do to move, the more that they can do to connect in a kind of kinesthetic way, I think is really useful. And it, it kind of catches people off guard, I think. You know, it can seem like the activities and the exercises that we're doing are games. You know, and actually the, the kind of learning and the shifts and the discoveries happen in the debrief and happen in the questions that we're, we're asking and the ability for them to be able to reflect on the experience that they've just had and then talk about it and share it with other, with other people who have also shared that experience. So I think for me, I do a lot of work um, with Theatre of the Oppressed, Auguste Boal, and his, his idea, he uses a lot of image theatre. And again, a lot of the safe groundwork, I think, is, it draws on this idea of images and role play and how we tell stories and connect without necessarily um, having to sit around the table and talk about it. And what I've found is that one of his um, kind of uh, taglines is that theatre itself um, is not the revolution, but it's the rehearsal for the revolution. So I think what we're doing in, in, in those um, sessions and the more practical, the more on your feet, the more kind of interactive and creative you're being is that you're, you're practicing, you know, and you're practicing exploring different ways of thinking and different ways of being and, and in, in, a, in a space that allows you to, to try something and then not try it again or to fail and that's okay to fail or to have fun and for that to be okay. So that there's a, there's something about, I think, again, what the, the, what's created in those workshops through the methodology that Safe Grand use is that there's that we are practicing, we are rehearsing for different ways of being. And, and that is powerful, I think, because we're also we're learning through the practical, through the role play, through the drama, through the, the games. We're also seeing how other people are doing it. So that there's, again, there's this kind of, I guess, symbiotic relationship that happens with between the men of okay this is what you're i'm seeing over here and this is also helping me um inhabit or be a slightly different version of myself with without any um not without any but with low risk so that there's i think and again i think that probably that's the skill of the facilitator to be able to create that and for and also to be able to model some of that so i think it's really it's Again, a big distinction between maybe um, teaching or, or training and facilitating is this this idea of kind of walking the walk with the with them, and that's a really interesting um, set of choices. I think as a facilitator, because you again the prison the traditional way of, the, of, of prison guards talking to prisoners is that they don't reveal anything, and there's lots of training around that, and I can totally see why that's important. Um, I think we're coming in. And the decisions that I make are quite early on are about trying to also show up and be a bit vulnerable and model some of the behaviours and the ways of, of being that I'm encouraging people to do. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting moment at the beginning. And I, and I think some of those games and some of the practical and, and some of the more arts-based approaches help that. They help to create the, the energy, but they also to help to create a space that feels as equal as it can do in that environment. And of course, there are lines that we all have as facilitators. 
um, and, and, and parameters and boundaries that we need to kind of maintain to keep people safe, I think, in that. But, but yeah, it's really interesting. I, I, I'm a dad, um, and I was just about to become a dad, actually, for the, for the first time when I did the Wandsworth gig, the eight-week and it was really beautiful to um, see some of the fathers who were inside taking on the kind of role of mentor and of, and of sort of coach for me as a um, slightly nervous man about to become a dad. But actually there was a, in terms of the power, there was an interesting kind of shift because of that, and that which I think was also really useful for the, for the conversations that we were having and useful for the group and useful for the program as a whole to be able to, to kind of meet somewhere in the middle and, and have the conversations there rather than um, asking them to have the conversations and not being prepared to yourself or not being, not showing that you're also willing to, 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 to be a bit vulnerable yourself. So it was really, it was really great. Uh, I also had a moment where I got my moped stolen and, and and I shared that with them, and suddenly you could see all the shoulders kind of prick up, and they said, "Well, who, where was it? Who, uh, give me give me two hours, and I'll find out." There was, <laughs> there was a really kind of um, yeah, those that that, and I don't, and again, it's my assumption I've not been in those sessions, but I think it's much harder probably to get to create that um, when you're not approaching it in a way that feels um, open and creative and practical. So. Um, it's not without its challenges, for sure, but I, I think that, that that ability to be able to play together, whatever that means for people, I think is really powerful, yeah. Mm. No, and it's interesting as well that you mentioned about fatherhood there, because, I mean, um, I suppose, obviously, a lot of men in prison are fathers, and, of course, that, that can be a really big and upsetting uh, thing for them to experience, I've been taken away from their families and their children. And for many of them, there might be fathers at quite a young age as well and may feel kind of shame and uh, guilt about being absent uh, from the lives of their children as they grow up. And I suppose some may may have um, treated their children badly um, or their partners badly, for example. So how do you engage with, with the men around those kinds of issues? And do you find that to be quite a, a big uh, motivational factor uh, in, in kind of wanting to change as well uh, among the men that you, uh, you speak to? Yeah, I think... Um... I think the the program goes right for the big archetypes really quite quickly um, in terms of those kind of male archetypes that that we have a connection with. We all have connections with on some level, whether it's that we, we are fathers or we have had fathers or we are uncles or brothers. Or, and, and I think what it does is, is we quite quickly explore the complexity of those roles. So what does... What does it mean to be that? What does it, you know, what what enables us to be good versions of those particular archetypes? And also, how do we feel when, when as you said, Stephen, this idea of shame and guilt, and you know, ultimately they are all unable to be the fathers probably that they think that they should be or that they imagine that they might have been because they're locked up in a prison. So we go there quite explicitly, um, and I think that can be quite hard, and I think that it can be, that can be quite challenging. But I think it's it's part of the whole package. It's part of this idea of of it's a space to be able to yeah to own some of those failures and and, and insecurities, and and also to practically to be able to really ask those difficult questions about what what's it what's it going to take for them to be different versions 
what's it going to be? What's it going to really take for them to be a better dad when they step out of the workshop or they step out of the prison? And and I think that that kind of challenge or, or that way of holding people accountable is is again I think is is something that differentiates the program. I think we go there, and I think that that is supportive because it it it. it we're collectively and individually strategizing for ways of doing things differently. And then we're also not giving people the option of, of just giving us an answer and then parking it. I think it's, it's really about sharing our experiences of what it has been to be a father. If we're talking about being a father and then using each other as a kind of resource to be able to practically, tangibly think about how to, be better versions than we have been and I think with that comes all of the conversations around um, Maslow and needs and and how the what has been coming underneath the feelings that we've been experiencing underneath some of the behavior that we've been showing um, some of those traditional ideas around what 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 do we expect a father to be or what's been our experience of our own fathers what are some of the external influences um, that have shaped how we've seen ourselves as dads? Whether that's media, film, you know, there's there's kind of interesting, it feels like it's a really a 360 exploration of not, not just necessarily one particular role or one experience of that, but multiple versions of what it is to be a dad. And then there's something around challenging people safely and constructively to be able to think about how they use that intelligence or use that data to be able to behave differently. And I think there's a, it's, it's as much about mindset shifting as it is about trying to kind of influence how people behave. Um, and I think, yeah, again, like I said at the beginning, I think once you, once you unpack it and once the armor comes down, people feel very um, ashamed about about not being able to fulfill their role as a dad and 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 I think the challenge as always as we've talked about is what happens after the workshop or what happens back on the wing or what happens when they leave and go to the back to the community it's it's kind of thinking about how do how do we how do they apply some of the things that they might have discovered during those workshops yeah, and could you tell us a little bit, Dan, about what impact the work has on on the men uh, involved in it? I mean, what kinds of changes have you seen um, among them? You know, I mean, do you find that it is possible to shift, you know, some of the really kind of rigid, hard constructions of masculinity that I suppose men are often expected to kind of live up to um, in prison? I mean, do you have any examples which come to mind of individuals that you have really seen kind of change in, in positive ways? I think it's about being realistic about what's possible in those short spaces of time. I think that the, yeah. some of those um, some of those behaviours and ways of thinking are really entrenched. So I think, you know, we're not for a second trying to say that there's a kind of the magic, the magic wand, but I think it's, um, I think that there's examples of, constantly examples of um, the, the journey that men travel, even in 15 hours, for take man up, for example, to be able to, um, to kind of stand up on stage and talk very honestly and eloquently about and, and, and kind of really reflect, I guess, on, on the things that are shifting and also reflect on how it has been to, to go through this process. So I think that that's useful and 
uh, impactful on an individual level. I think that there's also something, the the power and potential of the the people who are coming from the prison to be able to hear that, I think adds another layer of, of, of potential impact. Um, and I think that there's, yeah, there's, there's going back to some of those prisons, you can, you can see, you can, ha- you have a sense of some of the, the, Im- the impact that it's had on culture, on, on the culture of the prison and, and the way in which, I guess, interventions are run. So that there's, you know, I think for some prisons, this way of this kind of semi therapeutic approach is new. And I think there's often when you go back sometimes to institutions, you can see that people are more open to to working in those kind of ways. I think it it, it happens on layers, and I think that it can it, it also kind of I'm interested in in thinking about the kind of semi sort of longitudinal studies and and, and thinking about how what happens when we go back in six months' time or in a year's time, and ideally some of them they won't be there. You know, a lot of people will be out, out in the community it does become much harder to kind of to follow those stories and to follow those individuals. So, but I think it's, I think, for instance, the, the, the Peterborough work that, that is coming up this winter, we have, the, we're working with young men. I think within the, the prison population, there's 250 young men across the prison and we'll have worked with nearly half of them, you know, a third. Or, and, and so there's something as well about what can happen. It's that kind of tipping point, I guess. You know, what can happen or what could happen when more young men in a prison have done Man Up than haven't? Mm. I think, again, it, it, it allows people to have, to feel like they can start those conversations at a slightly deeper point or they can begin those conversations in a way that they might not have done before. There are those kind of shared reference points. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a constantly interesting topic around evaluation and, and, and in terms of kind of monitoring that impact at those different levels. But I think, I guess what I'm seeing is from a kind of human um, sort of narrative story, story-based um, way of measuring it, it feels like there's been, there's, there's huge change and it feels like there's a kind of, um, I think an opportunity also to, to, to think about what role people who have been through the program might then have in future versions of, of delivery. Um, we did a we did the, the the recent work in Peterborough. We had um, we did three weeks back to back, and at the end of our week, we had two or three of them who wanted to become mentors and come back and support the delivery for the for the following week. So again, you know that may seem like a really small thing, mm. but I think for them, for those three guys who had, who had been through the program, to feel confident enough to become slightly move into the role as kind of 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 mentor or of kind of assistant facilitator that's an interesting journey and i think that then those the the kind of cascade of of kind of that learning i guess happens in ways that i think is very difficult to to track and to monitor um but yeah there's definitely lots of stories and examples of of people seeing the benefit and the shift in terms of how people are interacting and behaving with each other yeah Mm -hmm. I mean, listening to the brilliant programs that you're running, it just strikes me kind of ironic that, you know, a man goes to prison and then gets access to this kind of intervention, when actually the kinds of programs you talk about would be so relevant uh, in the wider community, in schools and so on and so forth, you know, and yet it's just this very limited (laughs) opportunity that's there 
to engage you know there's a, there's a real contradiction there isn't there yeah it is and i think we we i've started working in croydon um in according probation which again is an interesting kind of um space because you know all the guys are free to leave they can mm. leave whenever they want and and they're also they don't necessarily need to be there in the first place so it's a really so i think there's there's interesting you know in the prison they're kind of they're there they're probably not going to be anywhere else unless they've escaped brilliantly from prison um <laughs> out in the community it's um it feels like a very different kind of gig and yet what we're seeing is is the retention of those parties the people are staying exactly because of that sandy that i think that the it's much it's very hard for men to have the kind of conversations traditionally that we would be having in man up and yet i think we need to have them more and more and we need to have them um in really different contexts and different places and i think i'd be interested in um <clears throat> i guess exploring what what needs to shift in the model or what needs to shift in the approach when actually you work in different contexts. So actually, you know, the, I think that traditional workshop-based kind of group work format is really great when when men are, when you know where they're going to be. I think there's interesting um, other techniques and tools that you can use potentially to engage and to meet men closer to where they where they are, um, kind of um, figuratively, I guess. So there's there's yeah, I think it's interesting to think about again in your in the facilitator's toolbox. What's in the what tools do you have to also be able to kind of enable and support these conversations between men to happen um, in ways that don't necessarily require them to sign up to a three day workshop. Mm. You know, because I think again it can be quite um, it can, it's a, it's a it's an easier thing to to say no to those kind of things than to say yes. You know, that, and 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 I think I wonder what the yeah, what those conversations are. There's a brilliant, um, there's a brilliant writer called Inor Ellums. I don't know if you know Inor Ellums, and he um, he's well worth checking out. And he um, recognised that the barber shop is where men talk. And I think that those kind of ideas and interventions of like, okay, what are the places that men are meeting and congregating, and and what how do we slightly engineer or tweak those conversations to be able to to feel like there is a depth to them and there is an ability for them to 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 also do the things that i've talked about in terms of the men those men in prison without without shoehorning it and i think that that's really tricky because it is it is easier to have the conversations that don't go to that depth but as we know the the real discoveries and kind of movement happens i think when we do when we are able to be more vulnerable um, and more authentic than we might normally be as men in all male spaces. Sure. I wanted to ask you, um, what, what kind of impact does doing this work have on you personally? Because, I mean, it must be pretty tough and you must get a whole load of ordure coming through, you know, that you have to come somehow process yourself. I mean, how do you feel about working, you know, in such circumstances and how you how do you manage? Um it definitely is. Um, there's an intensity to it, you know, there, and, and I think that there is, because you show up and, and, and you, you know, you're prepared to also be part of those conversations, it definitely um, has an impact. And I think there's something as well interesting as a, as a facilitator and as a professional. Also, how do you transition, your, how do you yourself move back into a world that hasn't had those conversations? And 
yeah, we have we have clinical supervision, um, and and often with with those kind of spaces, you go in not thinking that you've got anything to talk about or to share, and then within five minutes, you realise that yeah, of course, um, mm. the kind of weight of holding, I guess, trying to forage and uncover some of these stories and then holding these stories also um, has an impact. And I think that's, you know, we'll, we, would, we will always have a co-facilitator. Mm. So whether that's somebody from the prison or somebody else from, from within the safe ground pool or from the safe ground team. And I think that role of co-facilitation is key in the space is really important. And also at the kind of seven o'clock buffet breakfast planning sessions at the travel lodge or the kind of 8 p.m. Um, debrief to be able to have space to also um, go through that reflective practice yourself is key and 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 I think yeah I guess I've been facilitating for 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 a while and in different contexts to kind of clock and recognize when I need it and and try to kind of make sure that I, I, I embed that reflective practice in I prioritize it as much as the the delivery in the in the workshop room mm. because I think then as a facilitator all you've got as a resource is yourself and actually if 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 you don't look after, if you don't look after yourself as a as a as a human, then you're not also going to be a good facilitator. And I think that you're not going to be able to sustain the kind of work that you do. And I think again, it's it's being it's being in those sessions, it's hearing that the the, the stories, but it's also just operating in a prison. It's kind of you know the the I'm always amazed how how I feel coming out of the prison. And the, 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 the locked doors and the kind of mm. just the institutional nature of these places, um, even after three days, is, is, is quite amazing. And then I think about, OK, if someone's been in prison for four years, five years, mm. um, and then coming out the other side of that. So there's definitely something about the environment and the context and the converse and the work and all of that that, that that needs to go somewhere. And I think that's a combination of those more formal kind of clinical supervision spaces and the informal check-in check-out with your co-facilitator mm -hmm. and going and playing football on a Tuesday night and not thinking about a prison you know so there's a kind of it feels like a, a, not always but it feels like I'm kind of um, aware of the things that I need to do to be able to stay on top of it yeah I was also um, just wondering, Dan, given what you were saying about, you know, if the men in the wider community are not really encouraged often to reflect on the things you've been talking about in terms of masculinity, let alone men in, in prison, how how did you, um, just, just lastly, how did you first get involved in thinking about these issues about, you know, what it means to be a man and the, the pressures and expectations there? Yeah, that's... Um... That's quite a, quite a question to finish with. I mean, that, that, that could be a podcast. Would you come on next, next week as well? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, I think it's always about your own experiences. You know, my experiences growing up, my experiences with men in my life, my journey around what I think it is to be a man or the kind of version of a man that I feel able to be um there's an interest in I guess at the heart of it I've always been interested in what happens when people come together and connect and and that I guess the alchemy 
of what happens when people come together. And I think, you know, that's why I like going to festivals or that's why I like doing lots of things. But there's also something very specific around, um, yeah, these, these things aren't going to go away for men. And, and particularly uh, there's these questions of ide- identity and the, the weight of carrying other people's expectations and judgments about what it is to be a man and the external idea and the notion and the, of of those social expectations and cultural expectations but now it definitely does feel like um there's something that unites all the work i do and something that excites me just generally about bringing people together to be able to find out a bit more about themselves and about other people oh well thank you so much then that was so interesting to to talk to you it's been a real pleasure to hear about the great work you're doing so thank you yeah i mean i feel so sort of glad that you do what you do i mean just you know thank god and i wish there could be more of it so thanks so much for talking to us today it was really yeah really thank great. you thanks for um yeah thanks for having me on and um yeah i look forward to to kind of hearing more of your podcast because i think what you're doing in terms of um this kind of conversation and, and kind of amplifying that is it's really great. So yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Well, what an interesting conversation that was with Dan and hearing about the great work that Safe Ground are doing. Uh, what did you make of the conversation, Sandy? Yeah, that was great, wasn't it? I, I really identified with and, and remember what Dan was saying about the whole atmosphere and environment of a, a prison. You know, when you arrive at the gate and uh, the endless security being escorted between different buildings and blocks, you know, jangling of keys, the smell, the noise, bright lights, you know, the extremes of, of hot and cold, uh, not to mention what he also talked about, which was, you know, lockdowns constantly. I mean, the difficulties of working in, in, in an institution like that, these are, are very severe. So it's, it's amazing that they, they managed to do the work, really. Um, but there's a couple of other things that that occurred to me. One was, and I don't think we asked him about this. Um, he mentioned, you know, if they're co-running, uh, co-facilitating groups, you know, I think that does change the nature of the groups. So if they then become mixed gender groups, you know, and I think there's interesting uh, issues around all male groups when you are a facilitator, and the difficulty of both you know engaging but also not colluding with some of the things that men might say for example some of the banter perhaps you know negative comments about women or or something like that and actually sometimes in in group work like that it's very useful to have a female voice or a a female take um, and challenge and it sounded like from what he was saying uh, as if that is the kind of thing that uh, safe ground provides so uh, you know I kind of wish we'd asked him about that but uh, I think there there is an issue in there. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to talk about was the structure of, of the prison and how difficult it is to make change within the sort of penal setting. I, I did um, ask him about this and I, I think he gave the impression that there was some impact on the system as a whole. But you know I remember my own experience, I mean I used to, I, I worked for community service volunteers for a few years and what we did was we took uh, young offenders uh, at the last part of their sentence out of the prison for the last month of their sentence and place them in in community work, uh, be that working with disabled uh, people or in old people's home or youth groups or, or whatever. And, you know, that was um, quite... Uh, uh, we, we, we took some risks there with that programme, but there were many young people who were massively successful 
and it just showed showed the outside world but also those prisoners um a different version of themselves which is kind of you know uh reflecting some of what dan was saying as well about you know getting a, getting a different take on your own own uh, identity if you like but that that sort of program doesn't exist now as far as i'm aware you know and mm. it probably wouldn't exist because of increasing security concerns and the need for <laughs> offence checking and all this sort of stuff as well. So, you know, it feels like um, the prison service wouldn't take uh, what they would consider to be a risk like that in the current circumstance. And so I suppose my point is that actually, in many ways, we may have gone backwards um, mm. in terms of how prisons are, are now organised and run. Mm. Uh, and, you know, perhaps a more defensive, probably more punitive culture holding sway you know and I'm also thinking now of uh, some of the work that I used to do in the 1980s 90s which was about community alternatives to prison mm. um, getting young people out of prison you know so that they don't get there in the first place but by using cautioning by using diversion techniques uh, by running groups in the community you know and some of that drew on um, U.S. experience uh, led by people like Jerome Miller in Massachusetts, who who closed two of the main juvenile correctional uh, facilities in the belief that community alternatives would grow up and would would actually be able to to hold and contain some of the most difficult young people in the community. You know, and I, I just I feel sad in some ways that I feel we've lost some of that uh, some of that reforming culture and zeal that mm. used to be there. I mean, I'm I'm so glad, as I said, that Dan. Uh, and others do the kinds of works they work they do, and it's it's obviously important, and it's a space where you can actually, you know, engage with some men. Um, but the system as a whole does make for some huge difficulties in 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 making change. What yeah. did you think? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> well, I, I, I witted there. <laughs> no, those are all brilliant points, Andy, and I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I think the point you made right at the beginning about how many people are now being sent to prison. I think in the UK, we send more people to prison than most other countries in Europe, for example, don't we? And you kind of have to wonder, like, why? Why are we doing that? Uh, you know, because it seems to me, you know, based on what Dan was saying, often it doesn't actually work, right? If we're talking about trying to change people's behaviour, if we're talking about trying to stop crime, stop people from being harmed, sending them to prison, especially when we think about masculinity, you know, because often the prison environment, you know, it's very brutalising, it's very harsh, it's it's reinforcing, you know, very rigid, restrictive ideas about masculinity. You know, men are having to kind of live up to those expectations often just to survive in the prison context. And actually, the criminal justice system is often reinforcing those kinds of expectations as well, right? That, uh, you know, it's, it's forcing men uh, to be in the kind of situations where they feel like the only way that they can be a man is to be that kind of tough, unemotional guy um so yeah I, I, for me I, I do i do come back to thinking you know what what else could we be doing to try and change these ideas about masculinity you know with men who might have committed crimes you know where actually yeah maybe prison isn't the best option for a lot of them but also what more could we be doing as well you know what we were talking about with dan in terms of preventative work so that these kinds of crimes never happen in the first place and that there's never a need you know for these institutions to exist in the first place if we were doing more of the kind of work safe ground are doing in a preventative sense um with with men across society, I guess. Yes, I completely agree with what you just said, Stephen. It's clear that there's, there's huge changes needed. 
But uh, I think that's probably it for this episode, isn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely. But thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Uh, and hopefully we'll talk to you again with another episode soon. Do get in touch with us at nowamen at gmail.com if you have any questions you'd like us to discuss or comments or feedback. And do subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. And uh, But yeah, thank you so much for listening. Take care and speak to you again soon. Yeah, bye for now. Bye.